0: morning. So I spoke at, a, um, spoke at a, a chapel on Wednesday morning at a um, Christian school, um, Woodstock, Georgia, fifth through 12th graders. And uh, so that's like 11 through 18, right? And we're in this gym. And um, every time I would ask a question, be it a real question or a rhetorical question, the fifth graders, the entire class would go, oh, oh. So they were all very excited to answer questions. And then I thought, oh, like in just a few years, they become you guys. Um, <laughs> which is such a cool thought. And then how about, how about this one to really scare you? In a few years, you become me. <laughs> and then I <laughs> become Jeff Hall. <laughs> 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 which is all pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but I, I've been thinking that uh, it made me think of what I wanted to be when I was their age and um, I wanted to be lots of different things um, but it made me think what I want to be now and how that's different than what I wanted to be when I was your age. And, um, right now, really all joking aside, being honest, um, what I want to be more than anything is I want to be faithful um, but I'll be honest. I feel like my life and this is perhaps a really poor illustration but bear with me and Maybe you'll have a better one you can share with me. <clears throat> I kind of feel like my life sometimes is like a windshield, like on a car, right? And the world is a rainstorm. <clears throat> and the rainstorm is coming and just beating on the windshield, so I can't actually see clearly. But scripture are the windshield wipers, right? Right? So when I'm in scripture, I begin to see clearly through the rain. And sometimes it's just a little bit of rain, right? And you don't need the windshield wipers to go super fast. But lately, I feel like I've needed the windshield wipers to go really, really, really fast because it feels like the rain is really heavy and the world is really coming hard. Um, so we're going to look at a passage this morning that I think talks about faithfulness. Um, It does talk about faithfulness. It talks about lives of faithfulness. Um, But the context couldn't be any more different than ours. Um, Our main uh, characters in the story are um, people who are not in their homeland. Um, They're people who have been uh, captured um, after their land was conquered. They are uh, religious outcasts. Um, But they do have a um, a degree of comfort because the king likes them. Um, And they've been raised up into positions of authority, which has also caused jealousy um, and has caused uh, dissent among the folks who are from their land. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I will say this um, this is the last of our um, chapel talks on encountering Jesus in the Old Testament. And you're going to have to determine whether or not we actually encounter Jesus in the Old Testament because. I may have changed my mind or am not completely and thoroughly convinced that we're going to encounter the pre-incarnate Christ in this passage. I thought we were when we started, but maybe not. Um, Let's pray and jump in. Um, Lord Jesus, please be gracious uh, to us this morning. Um, Please, by your spirit, speak through me. Please, by your spirit, speak to our hearts. And please, by your spirit, draw us close to you. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So King Nebuchadnezzar uh, is the king of Babylon. He's the most powerful monarch on the earth at this time. Um, He has recently conquered uh, Judah, the southern tribe of uh, the southern uh, half of of the nation of Israel, after the Assyrians conquered the northern tribes in Israel. And he brought back with him a number of the Israelites, a number of the folks who lived in Jerusalem, and planted them in his, um, in his, uh, in Babylon. Um, Four of them that we know of, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, end up currying favor with the king by by the providence of God. And they have these positions of authority. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here would have been expected to be among those, these royal government officials who come to this massive image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here's what happens. He invites them all to come and set up. And and it appears that the reason he does it is because in Daniel chapter 2, He had had this crazy dream that no one could interpret, but Daniel interprets it for him. And in the dream, there's a statue, and the statue's made of these different things, but the head is a head of gold, and the head of gold represents King Nebuchadnezzar. And it appears that perhaps, after this dream, he decides to build a whole statue of gold to represent himself. Now, we don't know if it's actually a statue of him or if it's just a big image, but it's a big thing of gold. And what it is, really, and we're going to see this throughout and I want you to feel this through the whole thing. A show of kingly power, right? A, a grasp at, at control and at might. And that power and the control that he has is really only because God has given it to him. So he has this dedication, right? All the kingdom's officials are invited, and they're going to acknowledge the power of the nation and the glory of the king. So the herald then loudly proclaims, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So this really is a a bit of a religious rite, fall down prostrate, an act of worship which, if you don't do, we're going to consider an act of treason. So you hear that, right? We want you to fall down and worship. But if you don't, we're going to kill you. The power of the king. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward denounced the Jews. So let's picture this, right? Um, You've got the plain of Bura. you've got this this gold image. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has called all of the government officials to come, and he's told them, I want you to bow down to this image. If you don't, it's essentially treason against me. But there's no reason you wouldn't want to do it. So the music goes off, this big worshipful music, and they all bow down in this great sign of allegiance to the power of the great and mighty Nebuchadnezzar. But then we're told that some astrologers, some Chaldeans, come forward and they denounce the Jews. Now, it's ironic on one hand. Um, Daniel has been the one who's just saved these astrologers' lives. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was going to put all of them to death because they couldn't interpret his dream. Daniel interprets the dream and saves their life. So, as a result, um, he and his friends are given roles... And rules, administrators, they're over Babylon, and it fires the jealousy of these astrologers even more. Um, So they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, the Chaldeans, they know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been given places of honor. They also know that they don't worship idols. So, this would necessarily mean that they are going to disobey the king's command to worship the statue. So, they set the king's honoring of them. O king Nebuchadnezzar, may you live forever. You've honored them and raised them up to positions of power, but they, they don't even pay attention to you. They don't worship your gods, and they're not going to bow down to your idol. They set um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up as being ungrateful, and they appeal to the king's pride and to his image before all of the people there. So Scripture tells us that Nebuchadnezzar's reaction is this. Furious with rage, he summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now we have every reason to believe this is happening right in the middle of all of this celebration, because he's going to give them another opportunity here in just a moment. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what god will be able to rescue, rescue you from my hand? So, is it true what they say? You don't serve my gods? You're not going to worship the image of gold? And then hear, hear the tone of this. Your religious convictions are fine, but let's be clear and make sure we're on the exact same page. I'm willing to burn you alive. I'm willing to put you to death. So let's not play a game. We both know that there's no God that can save you from death. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has known only a surface loyalty all his life. The gods that he proclaims that he serves are not gods. The people who are loyal to him are loyal to him because he's a mighty king who can curry favor and he can have people killed. But what he hears next is quite alarming to him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image that you have set up. All right, so clear on the picture here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are young men. These are men who are not in their home. They're not theologically trained. They're captured, they're taken to a new land. They have no powerful friends to support them. They're standing before the most, most powerful king on Earth with the prospect of being burned alive in a furnace. And he says, "Just bow down." And what they say is, "O king, you can throw us into the fire, but we know that our God is able to save us, and even if He doesn't, we're still going to be faithful. Now, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar has ever encountered anything quite like that. They address him by name. They don't make excuses. They don't try to defend themselves. He's the most powerful man on the planet, but they cast their lives completely on God. We believe he's able to save us, and even if he doesn't, we're still going to be faithful. And Nebuchadnezzar absolutely loses his mind because he realizes, I think, before them... His power is a complete and utter illusion. He has no real power before people who are faithful to a living God. So again, he grasps at his control, the authority, the power that he does have. Nebuchadnezzar is furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. Likely embarrassed at his inability to ma- manipulate them, he tries to show control. So he has this furnace heated to seven times its, its normal heat, has them tied up, and he's going to have them in, thrown in. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and clothes, it's immediate, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. So think about this. Um, A furnace is large enough, right? They have a furnace large enough that you can throw people into it where they're actually able to walk around. Um, It's hot enough that it's able to actually burn people to death. And Nebuchadnezzar's power certainly scared the soldiers because the soldiers were willing to tie them up And carry them up to the top on the stairs above this furnace. I don't know if it was stairs or if they walked up rocker. But they're at the top. And they burn to death in carrying out the king's command. Because it's so hot. So here the soldiers have died. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace. And what happens? King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement and asks his advisors... Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, it appears that, that Nebuchadnezzar could see through an open part the thing, and he can see inside, and inside are the three men that have been thrown in, and then one, that he doesn't recognize, but looks like, the son of the gods. When God's people are called upon to pass through the waters and the fire of affliction, it is he himself who promises to be present with them. Isaiah talks about that. Some people think that the fourth figure is actually the pre-incarnate um, Christ. Uh, some people think he's an angel of the Lord. Either way, the Lord is with his people and he is saving them from the fire. Now, something that's incredibly, um, I think, wonderful here. There was a Canaanite god called Molech. He was the fire god. And Molech uh, was a god that they sacrificed children to. And they would light these massive fires, and then they would take the children and toss them down into the fires and burn the children. And here, in this crazy reversal, the children of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are thrown into a furnace. And God shows up in the furnace and saves them from the fire. That's the type of god that's a real god, not a god that would desire flesh of babies. So, reversal of sacrifices. The fire god Moloch is not a real god. Um, but the living god saves his children in the furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar then appro- approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high god, come out, come here. Now this is great, and I want you to like, hear this as it plays out. Nebuchadnezzar has no control except that which the Lord has given him. He has now watched God act in time and space. He's watched the living God save these three men. And listen to how he tries to exert control, how he tries to pretend that he actually has power. Come here, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them. So the government government officials have just watched the living God perform a miracle, completely overriding the power, the authority that Nebuchadnezzar thought he had. Scripture says that they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed, and their robes were not scorched. And this is my favorite part. There was not even a smell of fire on them. They're not even scathed in any way. They're not even touched by the fire that was supposed to take their lives. This is not a a praise of conversion. It's not a praise of understanding or true belief. This is the false praise of a king who's trying again to exert his control in the face of the living God. Praise be to their God. He's a good God, and look look how awesome Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. They defied me to stand up for their God, and their God saved them. So, he's so great. If anybody in the kingdom says anything bad about him, I, in my power, am going to have you cut up into pieces, and I'm going to have your houses turned into rubble. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. There stand Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the middle of this very bizarre royal power play between Nebuchadnezzar, the government officials, and they've just been in the furnace with the angel of God. What a contrast of what's real and what they're seeing before them, right? The windshield, if you will, is all the stuff that's taking place with Nebuchadnezzar, with the government officials, with all of his false words. But the windshield wipers, that they stood in the presence of God, and that God delivered them and saved them in their faithfulness. Real power versus human grasping, real authority, and human pretending, real mercy, and these very bizarre human rewards. He promotes them based on what their God has done. So I told you earlier, the thing that I really, truly want more than anything is to be faithful. We should have faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not impossible. It's what we should have as followers of Jesus Christ. It's what we should have as children of God. And I want to call them not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego anymore. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Mishael, who is like God. And Azariah, the Lord is my helper. And see, when we look at their faith... We walk in in chapter 3 to this big event, right? The fiery furnace. And we see their faith is so immediate. They don't need time to think about it. They don't need time to to talk it over. They don't need to judge whether or not this is a good time to be faithful or not. Their answer is immediate. Our God is able. And even if he doesn't save us, we're still going to be faithful. But what we don't see here in chapter 3 is what we need to know because it happened in chapter 2 and chapter 1. In chapter 1, we see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel being faithful in what appears to be a very small thing. The king wants to feed them from his table with the choice foods, but they choose to be faithful to their God and let their nourishment and provision come only from him. In chapter 2, they're faithful in prayer. Nebuchadnezzar is going to kill all of them. And Daniel goes and says, let's pray and beseech the Lord. They're faithful in prayer. And what they've done is Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, they have cultivated faithful lives. Practices and disciplines of faithfulness. They're faithful in the small. They're faithful in the daily. In the things that we might consider mundane. But they lived faithful lives. So when they stand in front of the furnace, there's no question about what they're going to do. They're going to be faithful to the God who has always been faithful to them. And that's a good principle for us. It's not this. It's not we are faithful when things are good so that when things are bad, we will be faithful. That's not how it works. It's not we are faithful in the small things so that we can also be faithful in the big things. No, we are faithful because Jesus loves us because he has been faithful to us. and We love Jesus. That's why we're faithful. But I will tell you this. If we are not faithful in the small things, we'll have a very hard time being faithful when the big things do come. But if we are faithful in the small things, when the big things come, we're far more likely to be faithful. If we are faithful when things are good, and life is is happy and joyful and circumstances are good and we are faithful, then when things get hard and the hard things come, we are far more likely to be faithful. When we talk about faithfulness, the primary place where we're faithful is in the daily. I'll say mundane again, but it's not mundane because there is no mundane. We're faithful in our daily lives. We're faithful... Shadrach, Meshach, and Vigil, what they eat, how they prayed, the words that come out of our mouths, the things that we say, the things that we choose to watch, the, the ways that we choose to entertain ourselves. We need to be faithful in all of those things. And Satan has done such an amazing, just crazy job at making us get cynical about thinking about things like daily faithfulness, right? The whole, what would Jesus do? You know, what would Jesus do is really a pretty wonderful question to ask ourselves about many things in our lives. But then Satan somehow gets in and twists it so that it becomes T-shirts and bracelets and probably old tattoos and things that get buried in irrelevance and cynicism. So that now when you see WWJD, does anybody actually think, I wonder what Jesus would actually do in this situation. What should I do? And I think if we started to talk about what is faithful and asked our, and, I, and we started asking that question in every single thing that we encounter every day, what's faithful? Eventually it would get turned into WIF. it would be a t-shirt and then it would get buried. But it shouldn't keep us from doing it. What is faithful? What kind of music is faithful as a follower of Jesus Christ to listen to? What kind of jokes that come out of my mouth are faithful jokes? What's a life of faithfulness look like on a daily, every day, every event, everything that happens basis? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. It's what it means to be a disciple and a follower of him, to love him more than we love ourselves. I'll close with two observations really quickly. Um, If we are going to be faithful, we have to be willing to choose faithfulness over comfort. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had good jobs. They had a degree of stability because the king liked them. The easy, the comfortable thing would have been for them to bow and to say this. And and I hear myself in this, and I I know you're going to hear yourself in this. It doesn't really matter. God knows our hearts. It's just a statue. We know it's not real. It doesn't matter. The thing is, it does matter. Every decision does matter. Every choice to be faithful or not does matter. They determined what was faithful and they did it and then they trusted the outcome to God. That's how we're supposed to live, to figure out what is faithful and do it and then trust whatever is going to come to our living God. And then we will see God as a result of our faithfulness. After they were pitched in the furnace, they saw the living God with them. A lot of times, I hear this a lot, A lot of times people will say, I don't feel God. I'm not seeing God. I don't feel close to God. And the more I talk, I'm not living faithful lives. Can you see the disconnect there? Like, why would you expect to see and feel and know God if you're not living faithfully? Go together, right? This is the way of Jesus, a life of faithfulness. It's how he lived. He is our example. When you look to his life, every single thing that he did was an act of faithfulness to the Father. The way that he ate, the people that he spoke to, the people that he loved, laughs that he had, things he was sad about, the ways that he enjoyed entertainment, everything that he did was faithfulness. And That's what it means to be a disciple and to be a follower. And then the beauty is We can't do it alone, and we know that, but we don't have to. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and Jesus tells us that he is with us to the very end of the age. We're not in this alone. More real than the angel of the Lord that showed up in that furnace is the living God who indwells us and makes us able to be faithful. So I want to ask you and encourage you, do you want to be faithful more than anything else? and be faithful to the living God. If so, let's beseech him together, as community, as friends, brothers and sisters, and let's be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the daily things and lean on God that we might be faithful people. Amen? Let's pray. Our God and King, please, Lord, make us faithful by your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, give us power and desire that is beyond any which we could muster on our own. Lord, please be gracious to us. Draw us close to you. By the power of your spirit, um, might we know your presence. Help us to be faithful people, Lord, that we might glorify you in the things that we do, say, think, and live. We pray in Jesus' name.